Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett-Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for the cool Florida weather. As of this recording, I am 221 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Reed. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for agreeing to be on. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Yeah, of course. My name is Reed. My pronouns are they, them. I am 29 years old, also white, queer human. I stopped drinking on August 18th of 2019. So according to my app, that means I am... Gotta love apps for helping know, us when right? we can't remember the day. I would never sober. remember this otherwise, honestly. 870 days sober. Congratulations. Thank you. It feels very unreal, actually. <laughs> it like, can... doesn't feel like a real thing coming out of my mouth. I can imagine, like, even the fact that, like, now I'm in, like, triple digits. It's hard to wrap my head around when, like, I started mm-hmm. off to stay counting. It feels like just a, a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh Yes. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like? Yeah, certainly. So I'm from a really small town in Oklahoma. And in this really small town, it's one of those places where for fun, people like take a case of beer out into the middle of nowhere, park, drink, and like that's the evening festivity. That was not necessarily my cup of tea at the time, but that kind of sets the scene for, I think, a little bit of where I come from with that. Being in that small town, though, there was this very small bubble and there was really nowhere to escape. So you kind of always felt like you were being watched and being young and being queer or effeminate rather, because I didn't have a language for queerness yet. I didn't really have any chances of like blending in. So that's when a lot of like anxiety started for me and like needing to control things. Eventually, I think when I got into high school and I was more okay with like being queer and my identity and alcohol sort of became more common for like my friends and I, again, it was not something I ever really even really wanted to deal with. I had very set plans of getting out of my hometown. I was going to do it. And like, I drank a couple of times and the times that I did, it was like zero to 60, which was probably a sign if we're going to be honest, but it was like a handful. And I thought, oh, you know, whatever. I have big plans. I'm going to move on from here and I won't have to worry about it. Or so I thought, then I got to college and then Within, I think, a couple of days, I actually, of being in university, we started drinking. And I don't think I ever really stopped, uh, to be honest. Just really hit the ground running. It was the first time that I had really felt this sort of freedom that I hadn't experienced. Again, being queer in a small town, like I was always 
really focused about controlling myself and how I presented myself. And then I was suddenly in college in a theater program where a lot of people around me were queer and a large percentage of my school population were performers. So it felt like freedom and it felt like all these things, but also there was still this need to control and keep everything inside of this box. But so alcohol played this really strange sort of role in both allowing that pressure to release a little bit, but then also very quickly steamrolled, so to speak. And my experience in my university was, this might be kind of all over the place, but my experience in my university was interesting. And I'm, I wonder if other people who are in other performance programs have dealt with this, but performance programs are, are in my experience, it was really very stressful, which a lot of people like think, oh, like you're just acting and like pretending to be other people. But really a lot of it is walking to class at 8 a.m. in all blacks and like unpacking all of your deepest traumas that have happened to you up until the age of 18 and then not being given any support tools to like debrief that after it happens. So that was kind of the environment. And then after you're unpacking your traumas, you're also having conversations in other theater classes about the real world and acting and it's hard and, you know, you're going to struggle and you're going to be the starving artist and you're going to have all of this rejection and don't worry about it because when you have a hard day, you know what you can do? You can go to the bar And you can hang out with your friends who are also struggling actors who are at the bar. And you know who else is probably at the bar? Your teachers. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of became this like breeding ground. I've spoken to so many friends of mine or people who are in my program who may not identify as being in recovery or as an alcoholic now, but have all shared really similar stories of having a really problematic relationship with alcohol and it being deeply tied to their experience in our theater program. And there was just a time of a lot of really self-destructive behavior for me as a young person trying to figure out who I was, still being like newly like queer and open and figuring things out, but still like very much having this need for control and not wanting anybody to look at me. It was, it's so hard to explain now, kind of looking back at it. I feel like I have all these thoughts that are very sort of scattered, but I was Actually, that kind of exactly describes my experience then. I was very scattered. I was very overcommitted. I, I think like one semester, I was in 21 hours in school and I was an executive uh, member of the fraternity that I was in. And I was doing all these other things for other people. And my self-worth was really low. And I just kept filling up everyone else's cup um, other than my own, except with alcohol. I was really good at filling up my own cup with alcohol. <laughs> Trust that. But again, it sort of became this thing where like, it was the release that we needed, but it was also like this deep source of shame that was like reinforcing the program. So like they would talk about alcohol, like it was this grand, like savior at the end of the day. But then if anybody ever seemed like they were tipping to a point where they were having a problem with it, they would be punished and not helped. And I actually, there was one instance where somebody else in my school, they had shown up to a performance drunk, two people actually. And the school came down on them really hard and basically said, you can go to rehab or you can drop out of school. And one person went to rehab and one person dropped out of school. But again, there was no like hand holding. It was, here's how it's going to be. And we don't, we're not going to give you tools. We're just going to tell you to go fix yourself and come back. Which when you're, again, 18, 19, 20, 21, like how are you supposed to 
know how to do that. And you're looking to these people who are supposed to be your mentors. So it was a really confusing time. And then eventually, you know, got out of college and just kind of kept drinking. I think the party never really stopped. I think that for a lot of us, we, I can speak from my experience. I did not, up to that point in my life, I had not developed healthy coping mechanisms other than, I know, I mean, really, I just didn't have it, didn't really have any healthy coping mechanisms. I would drink. I also had a history of having an eating disorder, which was also based a lot around control, a lot of behaviors that were very avoidant. So without sort of this foundation of having other things, this like alcohol just kind of fills up all the other space or alcohol, other drugs, other things. And then it just kind of very easily snowballed. And then eventually you start thinking, oh, like maybe I have a problem. Like, like, like maybe it's something that I need to look at. And I remember even in college, like saying to my friends, like joking, like hmm, I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> but like, was anybody ever serious? I think there was some, some part of me that was serious, but I wasn't ready to hear it. And even in the moment that I was serious, I might've, I even remember asking my friend, like, do you think I'm an alcoholic? Like it just kind of got brushed off and then we just kept going. Right. So, and I think about this a lot, right. If I, if I could go back, if I could tell myself something, would I even listen? And I don't know that I would now, but back to where I was before. So college, out of college, I moved to Buffalo, New York, and I was doing some courses up in Toronto and it was great, but the drinking continued. And then everything was being pretty held together. Like despite what I've said and kind of feeling very scattered, I always, that control piece was always really present. And I was very focused on looking like I had it all together and making it look effortless. And I think after this is where I really started to see the, like the cracks start to come out a bit. I was started to maybe feel like I was missing out on some opportunities. I wasn't showing up in spaces like I thought I wanted to be. But did the thought to ever stop drinking cross my mind? Maybe, but like not really. That was always like the very last resort of what was going to happen. Even after what might some people might call like a couple of rock bottoms happen, I just kept going because this was the only coping mechanism that I knew, even though I knew it wasn't good. And eventually decided to leave Buffalo, which becomes a recurring theme, living in a place for a couple of years, burning myself out, still drinking, and then moving somewhere else. I moved to Chicago, which was always the plan after after Buffalo. And same thing. I was working. I was doing a lot of theater. I was keeping seemingly everything together on the outside, but on the inside, I was miserable. I was really depressed. I started, that's when I was having a lot of issues with dissociation and my reality starting to separate a bit. And again, a really terrifying experience that I think now I'm grateful for, but never once did I think, oh, like maybe I need to stop drinking. And then finally, what I think started to do it, I was in Chicago about three years and there's this saying, this might be true in other cities, I'm not sure, but they say, everyone says your first year in Chicago sucks. I said, okay, cool. Like I can do a year. That's fine. It's hard. And then a year passes and I heard, well, everyone says your second year sucks. I'm like, okay. My second year was also not great. And then I started to hear, well, your third year sucks too. And I thought, well, 
is it ever going to get any better? So yes, the cycle of everyone saying that it was going to get better and eventually getting to this point where like, I don't think it's going to get better. I'm tired. I'm tired of me existing in life in this way. I, I remember sitting on a plane listening to Adele's 25 album, I believe, and listening to the song Love in the Dark. And there's that lyric, um, I want to live and not just survive, which I mean, you hear a lot of places, but something about that, I like broke down and like cried on this airplane, which if you know me is I, I'm not a huge crier. I don't think there's anything wrong with crying, but I have a lot of socialization that prevents me from crying um, that I'm still working through in therapy. But with this really wanting to just not sort of take up space in the universe and again, getting tired and saying like, okay, I think something's really got to change. And at that point I had maybe I toyed around with the idea of grad school, but like, I knew I wasn't ready. And I thought like, maybe I want to do some thing in counseling and mental health, but I wasn't really sure. And again, I was sort of in this cycle of like not being able to help myself get out of my own situation. So I thought, well, who am I going to help? If I can't even help myself, like, how am I ever going to be a counselor when I drink the way that I do? Spoiler alert, you can't, or I couldn't at least. And I eventually made the decision after three years to leave Chicago and I had applied for grad school. I applied to one school. I said, this is the one I'm going to apply to. And if it doesn't work, then fine. And I can walk away and I never have to think about it again, or I can apply next year. But then I got in and I said, okay, what are we going to do now? Like this next step is big. And that's, I think when I really started to look at for the first time, what it would be like to really look at my relationship with alcohol. I had done this a couple of times before, like taking a break here and there, but like it mostly it was just for like weight loss or like some aesthetic benefit, right? Like I needed to probably look a certain way to feel good at at like the gay beach or something. I don't know. And then that, that summer was the summer of 2019. A couple of other things that happened again with friends where I did not show up in the way that I knew myself capable of being in in those relationships. And I really hurt some people that were close to me. I don't know that I would consider that a rock bottom, but it was, and it made enough of an impact that I, I continued to drink for about two or three more weeks. And I had a move date out of Chicago. And I know a lot of people say you're not supposed to make big changes that first year, but for me, it really worked. I, moved to Prescott, Arizona, where I go to college now. It's a very small town in Northern Arizona, surrounded by mountains. And I thought this is going to be like my remote destination uh, to quit alcohol forever, or at least for a little while. I actually didn't have any plans to quit forever. I said 30 days, I think at first, and here we are 800 and however many days I said later. (laughs) Yeah. And what are some of those tools you used in the beginning of your sobriety to, to get sober and stay sober? Yeah. Well, I would definitely say for me, again, one of the things that was helpful was changing up my scenery. Like I don't, personally for me, I don't think I would have stopped drinking or stayed sober had I stayed in the situation that I was in, in Chicago. But I know that's not something that everybody can do. Um, I really had to push myself to make friends with other people who were sober. That was the first thing that I did. And I really started having conversations. I got a piece of advice once that speaking a problem doesn't create a problem. 
And I just kind of took that everywhere I went and talked to anybody I could. And I was really fortunate that Prescott has large community of people who are sober because places like Arizona and Utah have a lot of rehabs. People also just are very transient and, and, and up there. So there's a pretty large sober community out there. So I found some friends that were really instrumental in that. And then really early on, I think what helped me is that I was so busy with school that I just didn't have time to think about drinking. And again, that wasn't conscious. So I don't know that I can call it a tool, but I was working full time and I was in grad school and I just didn't, I put my nose to the grind and I just knew I couldn't. I think, I think really what it was is I knew that if I let it enter into the life that I had started in Prescott, it was never going to stop. And I wasn't going to finish school. I wasn't going to get the grades that I wanted to get. So for me, making myself really busy, (laughs) making a lot of friends, and then orchestrating my own change of scenery was, were probably three of the most helpful things. Excellent. And how would you say your sexuality and gender identity play like a role in your addiction and then in your recovery? I love this question. I love to talk about how uh, sexuality and queerness all intersect with this. So for me, it's like deeply, deeply connected in the sense that like, I think a lot of us have this experience. There aren't really a lot of safe queer spaces that don't revolve around alcohol. And not only that, you have this narrative, especially when we were much younger about, you know, all the gays, they party really hard. They go out all the time. They have lots of sex, which like, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it kind of got painted in this really shameful light. But the other side of that coin, as I just said, is that there, there aren't really any other spaces for people to go in there. That was never a conversation. So again, if you can't see it, how can you be it, right? This like representation piece of we kind of follow in the footsteps of the people ahead of us because that's what that's what we think our options are, you know? And I think now how it's really kind of shifted, well, I'll kind of go back. I think the other thing is a lot of queer people are taught to feel very small, very young. And that was definitely true for me. And I think alcohol keeps you small. And if you don't start out small, it will make you small. And so it felt familiar. And I don't know that I've ever put language to that actually until this moment of how similar those two things are. And then in recovery, I think to kind of follow that metaphor of being small, I think I've just found so much expansiveness in recovery. Like I was always afraid to take up space and I have found nothing but space in recovery. I also love space. I think space is very cool, but that's just a little side note. I also think that what I often think about with this is that with queerness as well, this idea of being small would be, I think a lot of times we're taught to say, well, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm also all of these other things, or I'm queer, but I can do this, or I can do six backflips, or I'm also like a powerful CEO or like, well, well, whatever your thing is. But recovery has given me the space to say, or to own, to step into this space of, it's no longer, yes, I'm gay, but it's, 
I am all of these things that you see because I am queer, because I am like literally love, because I am all of these things. Like there's not a part of me that queerness does not touch. And I deeply, deeply love that part of me in a way that I don't know that I would have beforehand. And lastly, I think that with recovery, you can't run from yourself. And I think I was doing a lot of that. And one of the gifts of recovery for me has kind of raised some more questions around sexuality and gender, and which was not a box I'd ever opened before. I had tucked tucked that box away and said, I'm good. I don't need to open that. We're all we're all square. Turns out we're not all square. There's lots of shapes in there and we're slowly picking apart the pieces. Yeah. I certainly understand that. And what have been some of the more positive changes you've seen in your life now that you're living? Um, not being hungover. That's definitely a big one. So like having more energy, my anxiety is less. I used to get a lot of anxiety all the time. I just would wake up so anxious. And something I didn't talk about a moment ago is that, so I, alcohol is, has always been like the drug of choice for me, but I've dabbled in some other things and pot has always been something that was generally right there. So it was like drink all night, whatever, wake up hungover, but mostly just really anxious and then having to smoke or feeling like I had to smoke to calm myself down when in reality, it only actually made it worse. And it just like became this cycle. And again, that's kind of what leads to that exhaustion. So having more energy is definitely one. The job that I have now, I don't think I would have gotten if I weren't sober. I think that I really, sobriety has given me this gift of stepping into myself and gaining more confidence and being able to say like, no, I'm, I'm worth that. I, I've had a lot of imposter syndrome, I think, as a lot of folks do. So I think one of the gifts for me is I'm not, <laughs> I'm not over it. I'm definitely still feeling it most of the time, even right now. But I, progress has been made, and that's been, that's been really, really awesome. Also, I have a cat now who might make an appearance, uh, <laughs> which I probably would not have gotten were I, were I not sober, because I, I knew myself well enough to know I couldn't, I couldn't take care of someone else. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. I know that um, having my dog in sobriety has been a blessing. Yeah. Yes. Now, if you can give one piece of advice to someone who is sober curious or newly sober, what would it be? Oh, well, one thing that I think I've listened to your podcast about, which I think that I um, always try to tell people, and and, and I think your podcast does a great job of kind of sharing this, is that there's no one way to do sobriety. There's so many options, especially now. And I think that if you are finding yourself surrounded by people that are trying to tell you how to be sober, try to tell you how you're going to recover, that might be something to look at. I'm not saying to end those relationships. That's that's for you to figure out. But I, I just think that there's a lot of options and explore them. Do what works for you and also keep exploring other things and figure out your boundaries because that will be so helpful. Yes. Having your boundaries in place is certainly a good thing. Now, we really love our steps, traditions, and sayings in our various programs that we use. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote you like to try and live by? I do. This is not recovery related necessarily, but one of my friends from college, who I look up to immensely, said to me once, read, don't set yourself on fire trying to keep other people warm. And 
that has stuck with me probably more than just about anything I've ever heard. And I really needed to hear it then. And it's something that I have to remind myself a lot. As I mentioned, I have a history of doing a lot for other people and kind of neglecting myself in the process. And I think we're all worth more than that. Yeah. I also think that I was thinking about this, this quote today, actually, now that I think about it. And I think for me, it's also shifted a little bit now and it's don't set yourself on fire trying to control the flame, which is definitely something I've done in the past and probably is a metaphor for me pre-sobriety. And there's probably a joke about being a flamer in there somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure there is. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your experience. It certainly will help someone stay sober today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you listeners for listening. Please make sure you rate and review if you found this information helpful. If you're interested in sharing your story, getting involved with the show, or just saying hi, I always love hearing from you. You can email me at gayapodcast at gmail.com, or you can get involved with me on Instagram at gayapodcast. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening right now so that you can get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. And until that time, stay sober, friends.